You're listening to Different Things Can Be Sad. Hello and welcome to Different Things Can Be Sad, where it's cool to care about politics and pop culture. I'm Yasmin Lomax. And I'm Micah Hahn. And we are here to bring you the May 2021 episode of Different Things Can Be Sad, where we will discuss uh, two pretty big politics and pop culture moments of this month and, you know, really give you a deep dive so that you can stay up to date and impress all your friends, especially the Gen Z ones who um, seem a lot more up to date. So actually, <laughs> can, can we offer the best insight for impressing Gen Z? I don't know. I really don't think so. No. You have TikTok no. though, Micah, right? Um, I watch someone else's TikTok. Okay. But okay. close enough. That's a gateway. It is a gateway. I've, I've, I've like held on for a year now and I don't think I will download it onto my own phone. We got to stay strong and old. Yeah. We got to do this. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you haven't been watching TikToks, but what have you been doing this month? What have I been doing this month? Um, May has been nice. It's been pretty. <laughs> I like. I've gotten full Vancouverite having moved back here mm-hmm. and dictate how good things are based on the weather. The weather <laughs> has been lovely. Um, I am using a new microphone today, so you might hear the faint tweeting of birds in the background um, as you listen to this. So I apologize, but also you're welcome because it's kind of lovely. Well, I'm um, uh, using my old microphone, so you'll probably hear my voice very crackly and nasally. And hopefully <laughs> you will not hear the sound of crazy east village people or cars honking or the person who keeps riding a skateboard up and down my street at all hours of the morning nice another time sorry micah um (laughs) i'm just gonna let my blood pressure go down as you tell me about birds Mm -hmm. tweeting Mm -hmm. um the big thing that happened in may was i got vaccinated Mm -hmm. um very exciting not the most pleasant experience. Um, I am parting my words of wisdom. If you've had COVID, your first dose is equivalent to a second dose for a normal person. So I would book some time off. Um, and if you live with people and have the opportunity to get COVID, the vaccine at the same time, don't get it at the same time. <laughs> Do it at a different time so you can take care of each other. Because um, there is nothing worse than two sick people together. All that being said... Still highly recommend getting vaccinated. It's short-term pain for long-term gain. That is very correct. And I have actually been benefiting from this long-term <laughs> Great this segue. Yes, yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I believe if you listen to previous episodes, you know that I have been vaccinated. And I went on my first kind of like big vacation uh, of the pandemic, like one where it was just, you know, a fun little holiday rather than escaping a virus or um you know just like within the state and being very very isolated from everyone else um this was still a very safe trip but it was to austin texas and i had the best time ever uh eating barbecue food we did like a river tubing thing where you like float down the river and Mm -hmm. drink a lot of white claws and spoiler alert those things don't go well together but it's still they do not And I went to a boat party as well. So that was really fun on Lake Travis. Um, it was it was pretty cool. I got to see my cousin 
for the first time since I moved to the U.S. in September 2019, which was actually like the last time I had seen a member of my family. So a very nice experience for that reason. Mm-hmm. But, you know, back in New York now, ready to kick it for the rest of the summer and hopefully keep up the reading because I've been doing a little mm-hmm. bit of reading in May. And I believe, Micah, you've also been doing a little bit of reading in May and our interests have been a little bit aligned. They have, haven't they? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I read a book called People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry. And Michael, what, what was the book that you read again? I think I also read a book called People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry. That's crazy. Okay. What a coincidence. So we got to talk about this book. Um, so guys, if you are a regular listener, which I'm sure all of you are, um, you know that we normally do reading, watching, and listening where we kind of talk about our favorite books movies slash tv shows music slash podcast of the month but we're gonna change it up a little bit and do a real real deep dive into people we meet on vacation because we gave emily henry's last book beach read our favorite book of 2020 i, I believe I'm, mm-hmm. not, I'm not speaking out of turn right we did give no it i that. think that's what happened yeah <laughs> it is now um <laughs> So we really want to just talk about this book. So, Micah, would you like to just tell the readers, if they are uninitiated, what People We Meet on Vacation is about? It's not really about people you meet on vacation. That's is that It really isn't. No. Um, so, People We Meet on Vacation is about two best friends, Alex and Poppy, mm-hmm. um, who are very different. Um, she's a wild child and he wears khakis um, that is very... written on the back of the book and i feel that exemplifies yes. them yeah it really does mm-hmm. um so he still lives in their hometown in ohio but now she's a kind of big time travel writer in new york um and each year um them as friends go on a summer trip but then two years ago um the whole trip was ruined um by something and they haven't spoken since. And in present time, Poppy is going through kind of a rut in her career and decides to text Alex again um, to see whether they can get their relationship back to the way it was. Um, and so the way that the book works is it's a series of flashbacks to the present time, the um, flashbacks to their previous trips, mm. and then instances from the current time where you find out whether their relationship can be mended i think that's a good summary i think that's a good summary yeah so we kind of meet them on the trip they're currently on which is Mm -hmm. to palm springs for his brother's wedding and then we see how it all plays out so now we're going to do our little deep dive. If you haven't read this book, please skip ahead. We'll drop a, st- a time stamp in the description. So, you know. Wait, do we want to do a quick, like, if you haven't read it, do we recommend it? I feel too mean. I don't want to. I don't Okay. Wanna, I don't want to. Um, read it yourself and come back and listen. Yes. Yes. That's, yes. that's diplomatic. I like, I like that. Okay. So we'll catch you at the end of this other people who are staying either because you've read it or because you're a little freak who doesn't mind spoilers let's get (laughs) Micah give me your thoughts what do you think um summation of thoughts Mm -hmm. I did not like it as much as Beatreed agreed Beatreed was kind of like this cannot put it down type of book Mm -hmm. 
Whereas this, I found to be much more of a slower burn. I liked the second half much more than the first half. What was your turning um, point? My turning point was when they finally got together. That Fair. I was like, okay, I understand. Because you don't really understand who Alex is as a person at all mm-hmm. until he like actually opens up to Poppy. Mm-hmm. Um, I found. Um, or like she doesn't even show it to you in the back flashbacks. Mm-hmm. And so there was no like investment in it Mm -hmm, and I like hate to compare it to Beatreed but like I felt like I knew who um was his name August or Gus Gus that's what she referred to him as right um yeah I knew who Gus was before they started like being romantically Mm -hmm. involved how did you feel (sighs) I I the, the same I think I wanted to love it so so much because I loved Beatrice so so much but I think my main thing with this book was I felt like the stakes weren't quite there throughout so like for instance Poppy's reputation in her hometown is this big reason that she wants to like escape it and like live the high life in New York City but like I never really got a sense that her reputation or like what had happened to her as a child was like that awful. Like it just didn't feel super severe. Um, Mm -hmm. As another example, the professional burnout, like I didn't really see that either. And then like the big thing that happened two years before on their vacation was just that they kissed um so I I I just felt (laughs) like a few things could have been like a lot bigger and more dramatic which like again hate to compare it to Beatrice but I think Beatrice did that really well where it was like her dad has died and oh my god he was having an affair and like he lived in this beach house with another woman and it was like such a quite like dramatic romancy moment this felt like a lot more subtle which is definitely like a cool thing if you're into that but I think I, I I wanted something like a little bit more dramatic so that's just a personal thing um and then like you know even, even like why they haven't got together I didn't really think that the obstacles felt insurmountable maybe because I've just like you know said those previous things about not really feeling like the reputation in her hometown was like that severe or that like you know as you said you didn't really understand Alex like I didn't really understand why two people hadn't just said they liked each other in 12 years um and like also also the flashbacks I think I'm not sure they really worked for me I felt like it like kind of sucked the urgency out of a little bit like anytime I did find out an obstacle I'm like okay well it's obviously they didn't surmount it because I know them in the present and they're not together um yeah whereas like I've read I don't know if you've read, like, Where Rainbows End by Cecilia Hearn, which is the movie Love, Mm -hmm. Rosie with Lily Collins. Um, But that one sort of felt like, because you were following them chronologically, and there ended up being, like, pretty big reasons why they weren't together. Like, one of them moves to America, and then one of them gets, like, pregnant. And, like, there's, there's, like, really quite large reasons why they're not together. And I felt like they felt very immediate because they were happening chronologically. Um... Yeah, this one definitely much more of a subtle read, which I think would be relatable to a lot of people. But I think I would have preferred more drama. And I think that might just be a personal thing. But I don't know. What do you feel? I agree. So 
I feel like I get the not dramatic thing because I feel like what was great about Beatread, I hate like I don't want to compare it to Beatread. It's hard also, not like, to. You're kind of forced. Yeah. To, yeah. Um, Beatread had this kind of like the relationship felt real, but there also felt like real stakes involved. Yeah. Um, and so I like in defense of the kind of slow burn of the book, I did enjoy um that you kind of got to see how their emotions or views of situations transformed over time so like you'd read a scene um in the past and like she would describe it as like how it was then and then you'd come to the future and you'd have a very different understanding of that moment yes yeah I liked that I agree um Mm -hmm. I do feel the stuff in the past was a little bit like I feel like there wasn't enough space to do flashbacks to like 10 trips and the present day like some of them felt a little bit like like a list of like what happened um that was a little difficult I think um and then there were just a few things like there's a lot of when Harry met Sally moments um (laughs) like Mm -hmm. that just for maybe like a little bit I I think just because I love when Harry met Sally so much I felt like you know, the college road trip home was a little too mm-hmm. similar or Poppy is like this kind of quirky writer is felt a little Sally-ish to me. So um, mm-hmm. I think there was just like a little, I, I think it's, yeah, I, I don't feel like my thoughts are a knock on the book. I think it's like, I remember listening to an interview with Christina Lauren, like the two writers behind that entity and they were sort of saying like a lot of the time they read reviews and they can just like tell that it's like it's coming from a sore point of that person or like you know something that's very like deep within their (laughs) reference and I I feel like yeah for me I like drama and I really like when Harry met Sally so when this kind of book went subtle on the drama and then very close to the Harry and Sally I, I it like didn't completely work for me but I still think it's a it's a really great concept I agree <laughs> so the one thing I like really enjoyed about this book which let's try and give it like some sort of defense um was that I I liked the idea about like relationships aren't just about whether you're good together but also about whether your lives will work together and like finding a balance between that yeah um specifically i really like the thing where she talks about the bachelorette and the bachelor when they're in tuscany oh yeah yeah um and i like her like thinking about how it's really about like who fits with the life you want to have Mm -hmm. um and she like ultimately decides in her life that she like wants the life she wants to have to have Alex in it Mm -hmm. like that's important to her Mm -hmm. but like relationships are about making those choices for yourself yeah I did think it it hit like a like a real life pain points very well and I think like what I was sort of saying before isn't necessarily like a criticism on the book it's more just like the things that I specifically Mm -hmm. look for in a book is maybe like a little bit more drama but I do think this one like you said hit reality very well so I think 
yeah, definitely those are choices you have to make. And like the the obstacles that arise to you being with someone are usually not as like insane as they are in other books and movies <laughs> that we've seen. They might probably are a little bit more similar to this one. Um, I think Beatrice just has a little bit more magic. Um, I think I think part of this problem is that like you go into a book like this knowing that they will end up together in the end. Like mm. it is a romance novel. Mm-hmm. It is very likely that they will be together. Mm-hmm. Or at least at some point within the book be together. Mm -hmm. And so as you're reading this, they don't get together until like, I don't know, like halfway through the book. Yeah. and But you know it's going to happen Mm -hmm. because you're reading a romance novel Mm -hmm. and it's like, that's like what you expect. And Mm -hmm. so given that, it like doesn't fit the bill of what it is. And like given what you know about it, I think that's like, what's so like when harry met sally is like genre defining like yes it has determined like what it means to be a romance movie um and i like i think this book i think yeah because it's a comparison to it and like in her uh acknowledgments at the end is like yeah like this is what inspired this book and Um, it's quite obvious yeah yeah, I yes. think that ties a little bit to what you like what I was saying about the um the flashbacks in that like you already know that they're going to be together, but then I think if the book is written chronologically, you can get a little bit like swept up in it. Um mm-hmm. and it just gives things a bit more like immediacy, but then if you have that you know they're not together now and you know that like, you know, whatever happened in the past hasn't changed the circumstance that they're in now. Um but you know they're going to be together. I think it just takes like a lot of the, the questioning, out of it. Um, just like a lot of the the curiosity, which, is kind of the key in a format where you know people are going to get together. Yeah, if that makes sense. I feel like we're getting a little convoluted in it. Um, but yeah, because I think the when you read a book like this, it's not about if they get together; it's about how they do so. Yes, and like the how they do so in this, like, is a little lackluster. Yes, because I think there was like twelve years of stuff that wasn't that we weren't experiencing chronologically. That we all like that from the first page, you know this the situation that they're in now. So whatever has happened in the past is already in the past and like the main result of it is what it is now but we already know that Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm getting all like timey-wimey here but um (laughs) I just I'm getting really caught up in this chronological thing but I feel like when you experience something chronologically you don't know what the outcome is going to be so that's kind of like the excitement of that like for instance the bit where Poppy thinks she's pregnant right um yeah if that was chronological, there's going to be like a bit where you're thinking, oh my God, is she going to have like a baby? And then we have to factor in this like random man the whole time and her like trying to do her career stuff with a baby. But the fact that we meet her when she's single and doesn't have a baby kind of makes Mm -hmm. that moment not really reach the climax that I think it was hoping to, or or maybe that was the intention, but it just didn't like grab me as much if it had if it had been a different way yeah especially like as you said like random man like you see this boyfriend that she is very serious about in that moment as a random man yes exactly yes 
I think the reason why it couldn't be chronological is like these relationships would you would you'd be invested in like these other relationships that they're in. I think you're right. Yeah. Because with him, continuing comparing it with when Harry met Sally, like they start out in relationships, mm-hmm. but in the times where they're like building their friendship and relationship with each other, they're not in relationships. Yeah. And I feel like that's not an, like, we don't know a lot about the people that they're in relationships either. They're pretty bland in when Harry no. met Sally, but in this, like Emily Henry actually does a really good job of, especially with the people that Poppy is with, like giving them unique personalities. So I yeah. do get what you mean. If you did it chronologically, you'd probably really like one or two of them. I feel like the, like, I'm not opposed to the jumping in time genre. Like, I think that can mm-hmm. be done incredibly well. Like, E. Lockhart's um, We Were Liars, fantastic mm-hmm. example of jumping through time. It's mm-hmm. great. Um, but it requires, like, that book is a suspense novel. Like, mm-hmm. there is, like, yes a darkness in it. And yeah. And you, like, are trying to figure it out. Um. And there's, like, a surprise. But there is no surprise in romance novels. And that, Mm -hmm. like, kind of ruins the flashback. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're kind of, like, combining two knowns together. And it's not really, like, building up enough intrigue, essentially. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I agree. I would definitely, like, it's, I think going into it hoping for another Betrayed was a mistake. Oh, um, for sure. But- and I think I came off the back of House of Hollow, which I raved about last episode. And I think <laughs> I was just expecting something to to grip me as much as, as that did, which was like, you know, a, a once in like a every couple of years book for me. So, mm-hmm. yeah. We, we, we dug our own grave with it. But no, all in all, liked it. I think it just maybe wasn't like the the book that was specifically geared for me um i think it was definitely doing a thing i'm just not sure if i was the right person to receive the thing Mm -hmm. yeah i totally get that luckily this month i think we read or we watched and listened to some things that we did enjoy um a bit more and so we'll we'll quickly go through those yes Um, do you want to go first if you're watching yeah um, so I watched Barry, which is Bill Hader's dark comedy about an assassin who wants to break into comedy. <laughs> um, and it is fantastic. If you don't like, like, violence, it's not a show for you. Um, but it's not like, like, it's not a show like the violence is quick. And it's not like, so I also started watching Breaking Bad. The violence in Breaking Bad is too much for me. Like, it is excessive. I don't enjoy it. This is, like, it's the show is so funny that you, like, don't notice how assassin-y he is. But, like, if you really can't do, like, some shooting, then you're just not a show for you. Um, But Bill Hader is, like, an incredibly good actor. Like, fantastic. Um, And the best part is it's a bunch of actors playing struggling actors who are very bad at acting. And oh, that is a funny. skill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would, I would highly recommend that. What about you? I watched the friends reunion this month, which Ooh. if you cast your mind back to a much older episode, we'll drop it in the show notes. Um, <laughs> I did a whole thinking thing about what, what the friends reunion is going to be about because it was announced like, 
a year ago, if not longer, um, pre-pandemic. And we were like all imagining what it was going to be like. And we dove really deep into that. But it finally came out um, this month on HBO Max. And I loved it. It was like an hour and 45 minutes of just the cast getting together and reminiscing. And it was just like very, very sweet and wholesome. So if you're a Friends fan, it will definitely warm your heart. It, it you know, it doesn't get into like really deep things or anything. And I, I, I feel like I didn't learn that much except for one bombshell about uh, Jennifer Aniston and David Schwimmer. But um, just a really fun hour and 45 minutes and it was cool to see all the guest stars um turn up as well lady gaga singing smelly cat with uh lisa kudrow was a highlight for me Sounds speaking great. of musical things um the thing that i listened to the most this month was sour by olivia rodrigo her exciting new debut album would you say the same micah yes it's definitely one of the things i've listened to quite a bit yeah um if you remember, we did a driver's license episode a little while ago, which we will also link down below. But this is just like a really, really fun album. I hope the teens are having a ball with it. I really love the rawness and specificity of her lyrics. And I think um, some of my favorite songs are One Step Forward, Three Steps Back, Traitor, Brutal. They're just so specific and relatable. And I think the latest single, Good For You, is just like the pop punk release that we all need occasionally i agree i feel like if you consume any tiktok which we talked about earlier (laughs) you will um know many of the songs off of Mm -hmm. this album my one thing about it is i like sat down to listen to it and then it was over like it's only 35 minutes long it is incredibly short um, yeah, which is interesting because she's such like a Taylor Swift fan and Taylor Swift is notorious for giving us like 22 song albums. Um, mm-hmm. I appreciate the amount of songs on this one. Maybe it's just that the songs themselves are short. or maybe The songs were- themselves are incredibly short, but this seems to be like a trend that we're heading in towards mm-hmm. in music. Like Old Town Road, also incredibly short. That was like, um, which we talked about in a previous episode. Yes. That was like the shortest number one ever. Like it's like two minutes mm-hmm. on. Yeah, that's interesting. I think I am I like a, a standard length song, but I do like a shorter album, I have to say. I feel like mm-hmm. uh, if you did like 10 songs of like three and a half minutes, you'll go a little bit over the 30. You're probably closer to 40 then. That's that's what I kind of like. I think we were getting to an era where things were getting a little long there. Um, yes. Like a lot of Taylor Swift albums, very, very long. Or like the latest mm-hmm. Vampire Weekend album, very, very long. So I don't mind a shorter release, but I do get what you mean on this one. So this month on the podcast, mm-hmm. um, for our politics section, I thought I would talk to you about um, uh, a new form of climate activism. So when you think about climate activism, you might um, think of Greta Thunberg or Greenpeace or maybe the Climate March. Um, one approach that people have been taking recently to climate activism has been going through the legal system. So this month in May, um, huge strides were made when a Dutch court sided with climate activists against the Royal Dutch Shell Company. Um, so this kind of is part of a larger trend of people suing um, mostly fossil fuel companies for um, the damages of climate change. Interesting. In so, 
Oh yeah, it's really interesting. Um, so a fun fact, which is not fun at all, is that twenty <laughs> there are twenty of the biggest fossil fuel companies in the world account for one third of the world's total carbon emissions. Wow. Um. Yeah. So fossil fuel companies represent like a huge threat to our environment Mm -hmm. and it's an interesting position because it is true that like we all consume fossil fuels every single day Mm -hmm. for the most part um some of us more than others and so taking these companies to court for things that like the gas we consume is an interesting strategy yeah and i'm really interested to know like if this is people who have personally experienced a negative effect of the the fossil mm-hmm. fuels and the ensuing climate change and then are suing them for that or if it's more like a, a general activism situation so teach me it all mike i'm excited to learn so the most recent shell ruling is a like general activism case okay so the dutch court um ruled that shell which is based in the Netherlands, um, which is why they could have this court case here. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to reduce their emissions by 45% of 2019 levels by 2030. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so they're like, give them a very specific mandate of what they need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why the court said they had to do this is that they said that um, Shell had a duty of care to reduce emissions. Um, and that the current plan that they had, um, which was going to reduce by 20% um, wasn't enough and wasn't detailed enough in any mm-hmm. way. So like it like laid out some understanding that Shell was an emitter, but it didn't actually describe how it was going to reduce it. Um, and so this notion of like a duty of care is really central to this. Not all legal systems have this idea of a duty of care, but basically oh, it means, um, yeah, it means that individuals or companies have to adhere to some standard of responsibility towards other people. Okay. Um, so you can't, like, um, a duty of care means you can't, like, knowingly put out a product that is going to be harming people. Um, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so basically what they're saying is, like, Shell, we know the climate change is real. Mm-hmm. We know that Shell is one of the biggest polluters. And they have a duty of care to reduce their emissions. Um to meet the Paris Climate Agreement, um, which we have an episode on. We do. Um, There's so much linking we to do, do in the show notes. I know. Um, but So Shell has a duty to meet the Paris Climate Agreement because if they don't, there will be irreparable harm um, to okay. the hmm. planet. Okay, so it's not um, like arguing that like them providing oil is necessarily bad, but the level at which they are doing it to and creating the carbon emissions yes. is the problem. Okay, gotcha. Yes. Um, and so the people who sued Shell mm-hmm. are um, specifically the Dutch chapter Friends of the Earth. So Friends of the Earth is an international organization that like does climate activism. Mm-hmm. And they have different chapters around the world. So this is the Dutch chapter. Mm-hmm. And it was them along with 1,700 Dutch citizens. Mm-hmm. So this is the like people and organizations taking on um, a company. Okay. What's interesting is that the reason, one of the reasons why this case um, was successful is because it follows the first successful court case in the Netherlands around climate change, which happened in 2019, which was when the Supreme Court ruled um, 
in favor of environmental activists who were suing the government. Oh, okay. So you can sue the government and you can sue companies. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So the um the environmental activists. Yeah, we can sue all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, environmental activists were arguing that the government should needs to reduce their emissions, mm-hmm. um, and and under the same kind of like duty of care thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Supreme Court of the Netherlands ruled that the government needs to cut the emissions of the country by 25% by the end of 2020 from 1990 levels. So that gave them like a year to oh. cut 25%. Okay. Um, I, 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 I should have like looked this up, but only I know I should have looked it up to see if they actually made this goal because I think one thing you might we might find underlined in a lot of this is like I don't enforcement is kind of unclear yeah that is interesting mm-hmm. like this sets up a legal precedent that like you can sue companies in your government for environmental related damages or like failure to protect which is like you're basically suing them for inaction um but i don't i'm not a legal scholar so i don't know how enforceable it actually is and the reading i did didn't really like speak to that either yeah i mean this all seems like relatively new and i feel like any enforcement would probably take quite a while to come through anyway but yeah yeah that is interesting like could you just like bankrupt your government essentially like what would they like are you would you be suing for money and then what would yeah, you be doing so with the money it's more it's less about like suing for like damages and more about suing for like action right yes yeah yeah so my question is like if the government doesn't reduce emissions by 2020 like what's gonna stop them from not doing right like you don't want to bankrupt your own government you're not gonna be like do this or you have to hand over five billion dollars yeah exactly so that is interesting yeah um so the Netherlands isn't alone in mm-hmm. doing this kind of climate legal action. Another famous case is um, in Ireland, actually. Woo! Yeah. So in July <laughs> 2020, um, the Irish chapter Friends of um, the Earth sued, um, or the, the case um, against the Irish government came to fruition. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting about it, it this is interesting so the supreme court ruled that the initial 2017 plan which was their climate mitigation plan mm-hmm. um wasn't adequate and the reason why they said it wasn't adequate was because it didn't meet the 2015 climate act but if you know something about irish politics you know that the same party was in power who instituted the 2015 climate act as the 2017 plan oh interesting that's funny i like yeah, didn't make so that connection for a second i was like what are you getting at? I, oh okay yes obviously i i like had to do some because i don't know mm-hmm. irish politics that closely i had to do some googling yeah like mm-hmm. different parties um they're different they're different legislation same party yeah that's um, interesting it's like just make up your mind once, but that seems very characteristic. Yeah. So, um, I think it maybe speaks to like the climate act was kind of broad and sweeping and generally said like we need to preserve the environment, mm-hmm. um, which is something that like left or elite, not that like the ruling party at the time was very left leaning. Because yeah, if you have followed our discussions of Irish politics, you know that kind of like Australian politics, everyone is bunched around the right and center. Yeah. Pretty same, um, pretty in the middle. Yeah. 
Um, and so you they could like have had larger goals that they didn't actually intend to meet. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like that's exciting in that maybe there'll be more stronger Irish um, environmental policy mm-hmm. sought out. Um, when you think about suing, I think the country that exemplifies this like desire to take someone <laughs> to court the most is the U.S. And yes, it turns out the U.S. is the most climate change related lawsuits. So there's uh, 1,385 currently ongoing. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, but unlike in the Netherlands or Ireland, most of these are states and cities, typically Democratic, uh-huh. um, who are suing companies. Oh, interesting. Okay, so it's not yeah. like humans are like a, a group. It's like New York. No, it's sue like Shell. Let's say. Yeah, interesting. Um, and a lot of these have to do with um, like more about damages. So right, specifically, like New York is suing certain oil companies, um, because of the damages that in global warming has caused to the city. So like Hurricane Sandy is. And related to uh, global warming. Interesting. Like okay. Rising sea levels are caused by global warming. Right. Um, and so a lot of these states and cities are suing to have these companies pay for like infrastructure to deal with the changes. Right. Interesting. Okay. So this is like, okay. So it's like basically the, the, my two guesses at the beginning is it like a yes. general climate thing or is it like damages we've seen both now interesting it's both. yeah um there's another case which is um different it's individuals it's mostly kids mm-hmm. um oh. so like young adults who are suing the federal government and so they started the um i think they filed in wisconsin they're suing they filed during the trump presidency when he like i think it was specifically because he pulled out of the paris climate accord um Oh yes, we've talked about as well. Yes, um, there are now negotiations with the Biden administration, and we like it's under behind closed doors, so we don't really know what will happen. Um, so yeah, there was like a variety of stuff happening in the U.S., but and obviously like another country's jurisprudence doesn't like directly affect American, but it is common for countries to kind of say well in this country like this argument worked yeah to show that like people are having the same thoughts in similar legal systems Mm -hmm. um so there are also 425 cases happening elsewhere in the world australia has 200 of these cases interesting um which we like have talked we've also talked about before how australia is not very proactive when it comes to climate change Mm -hmm. so it kind of makes sense that the Australian people are taking their government to court. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also seen in both England and Canada lawsuits um, against the government about not living up to their international climate goals. Mm-hmm. So they argue that, like, in the Canadian case, the um, Trans Mountain p- Pipeline doesn't meet the Paris Climate Agreement goals. Okay, yeah. Um, and so therefore the government is at fault. Um, I think these all seem like really interesting and, and cool, but you might think like, do these actually have any effect? 
Um, and we can think back to previous times um, when people have sued large companies. Um, so we can think of like in the 1990s when people were suing big tobacco quite a bit. Um, so for... Oh, yeah, that seems like an obvious one, right? Yeah, obviously people yeah. would do that. So in the U.S., um, especially, people were suing big tobacco because um, cigarettes kill you, and big tobacco had been, like, denying this for quite a while. Yeah. And so part of the success of these cases was that it was revealed that big tobacco knew that their products were killing you and mm. just didn't care. Mm -hmm. Um and the way that this was revealed was through document discovery. So like internal Ooh. memos were revealed. And so some um, articles I've been reading were talking about how maybe more important than like the final decision will be that these documents come out from these oil companies where they like have known for years that they've been killing you. Yeah. Um, and that'll change public opinion because at the end of the day, like what will change like our general use of oil and support of companies like Shell mm -hmm. is going to be like how bad we feel about the companies and using oil all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like the difference between like oil and tobacco is that like we need oil for our day-to-day -day lives, but like nobody needs to be smoking cigarettes. So I feel like having a, document like that where people are being very shady would do a little bit to yeah. change that perception for sure i think obviously the tobacco one is a very like one-to-one -one thing like you smoke a cigarette you get lung cancer yes um but like obviously climate change is like because it's so huge and it's politicized is like yeah people say that it doesn't exist mm -hmm. um which like for a long time, people said that cigarettes didn't cause lung cancer and said that because big tobacco was paying them to say that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think there are parallels and dissimilarities mm -hmm. between the two cases. But it does show that, like, lawsuits do change things. Yeah, it can it can happen. And then, sorry, what was the outcome from the big tobacco cases? Like, were these companies just getting sued out of it? Or? Yeah, so... They're kind of like things that are very normal in our day-to-day -day mm -hmm. lives now. So like the warning packaging on um, cigarettes. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. A lot of these yeah. lawsuits like change public opinion, which then moved governments to change what like bring in new laws. Um, also, right. Big Tobacco pays uh, many U.S. states for the damages caused. So because like U.S. states pay for healthcare, um, for some people, um, big tobacco like pays for that healthcare for right. like, lung cancer and stuff. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, hmm, I didn't know that. Yeah. So like there are like both like societal changes that come from lawsuits and like actual monetary changes. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, I wanted to close this discussion of lawsuits as a way to like think about climate mm -hmm. activism and that a lot of the articles that we're talking about this shell case um paired it with these other kind of really exciting changes in the oil industry so um exxon Mobil, which is one of the u.s's biggest oil companies mm -hmm. um the same week that this shell case happened two of their board members um were 
or board positions that's out of 12 were taken up by climate activists. So now there are oh, like that's interesting. Yeah, so the board of a company like determines where like the decisions it makes yes. and yeah. the CEO reports to the board. So now like two people who exist on the board are like fundamentally against what the company does. That's really interesting. Okay, that's like an interesting outcome that maybe we could see from this rather than suing companies for money or suing governments mm-hmm. for money. That's like a, the influence. That's interesting. Yeah. Um. So it's like obviously a different strategy than suing, but it's seen like it's going after the corporations themselves and like trying to change yeah. the inside. Um. Similarly, at Chevron, key stakeholders all voted to substantially reduce the emissions from the use of their products. Um, how they will do that? Who knows? Um, complicated science and ultimately burning less oil. Um, but it is really interesting that oil companies, maybe it's because we like live in a post-Trump era now. and oh, That feels like nice climate, to say. Doesn't it? Um, <laughs> like I think climate... Um, policy is going to be coming in quite quick here um you're not quick but like it's more likely to happen um, than it was nine months ago um that like companies are either being forced to make changes like mm-hmm. ExxonMobil and Shell or are, like making changes from the inside because they see the turning of the tide mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so that's kind of a positive note to end on, which I think I haven't ended on in a while. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, climate change, really scary and a lot, but there are like positive movements that are happening and it's like important to keep your eye on what's at the forefront of climate activism right now. So for this month's pop culture segment, I thought I would introduce everybody or, you know, maybe give you a bit more of a deep dive on it if you're already familiar, uh, to the new word of the month. In May 2021, the phrase chugi, which is spelled C-H-E-U-G-Y, really entered our lexicon and took over the internet. So I wanted to do a little digging into its origins, what it means today, and how to know if you are in fact chuggy or a chug. So, <laughs> Micah, have you heard about this word? Yes. Okay. I, I've seen it on TikTok quite a bit. Okay, good. Good, Because I've actually had to tease a few people uh, to listen to this latest episode because I've been saying it and using it and they have no idea what I'm talking about. So, guys, if that applies to you and you're listening right now, buckle in. So, the origins of, of chuggy. It began... Well, it began this month with a, well, not even this month. Our story begins. This is the best way to start the story. Our story (laughs) begins with a video from a TikTok user who has a spectacular name. And that uh, username is webkinshor143. Webkinshor143 posted a video at the end of March that started off with her acknowledging uh, a few TikToks she's seen where people, you know, walk around Target showing things that give them I got married at 20 vibes, so like live, love, laugh signs, 
or they'll label something as having girl boss energy, um, which has basically become like shorthand for the cringiness that is the intersection between white feminism and capitalism. Um, But then she pointed to an Urban Dictionary entry that actually dates back to 2018. um, And that read, Chuki is the opposite of trendy, stylish in middle school and high school, but no longer in style used when someone still follows these out-of-date trends. This may include but not be limited to fashion, habits on social media, usage of slang, etc. So the video was like a pretty big deal at the time, but then kind of blew up when the New York Times published an article called Mm -hmm. What is Chuggy? You Know It When You See It um, this month. And they went right back to the beginning of Chuki and spoke to a young woman named Gabby Rasson, who's now 23, and she's credited with coining the term back in 2013. So, um, wow. yeah, so the article says that um, Gabby Rasson said she started using the word back in 2013 while attending Beverly Hills High School. <laughs> she wanted, I know, I did, is that like the school from Clueless? Um, <laughs> she wanted a way to describe people who were slightly off trend, but she couldn't quite come up with the right term, so she created her own. Now, the article also interviewed a 23-year-old producer named Abby Siegel, who learned the phrase at a summer camp Gabby Rasson also attended. Sorry, there's an Abby and a Gabby, and it's getting a lot there. Um, but Abby said, everyone in our sorority knows the word chuki. Again, another quite funny phrase. Um... <laughs> But it really does seem like it has kind of expanded from Gabby Rasson a good, what is that now, eight years ago? So back to Webkin's whore, 143. Her name is actually Hallie Kane, and she was interviewed for the article as well. But she provided some examples of things that are chooky in her TikTok. So phrases on shirts and hats um herbal essence shampoos and insta captions that say life's a beach um tiktok creator rod who makes these like very funny millennial videos that sort of like mainly poke fun Mm -hmm. at office culture uh he pointed out a few others i feel like some of them kind of just verge on like basic but ones like the pattern chevron and being very into cruise ships, I think, is a quite good example of Chugi mm-hmm. because really, like, the Chugi isn't, it doesn't mean basic. It just means, like, slightly off trend. So things that were, like, maybe cool a little bit a while ago, but are now, like, a little bit cringe. And I sort of think of when we were, like, maybe in middle or early high school, there was, like, this whole internet meme about, Miranda Cosgrove Crocs and Nickelback being these sort of like lame things and I Mm -hmm. feel like that was like the original chuggy for us because like we all really liked iCarly and then we all you know everyone wore Crocs when they were a kid and everyone thought some like Nickelback song was fun and then you got a little bit older and we're like oh my god no they're like cringy (laughs) and I think that's kind of the energy um of of chuggy or people who are chugs um because that's what we call them. So having explained all this, I'm wondering, Micah, do you have any chooky tendencies? I'm sure I do. Somewhere back there. Somewhere um, back there. I feel um, like mine are very obvious. Like back in my brain. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, you you would give us your examples first, and I'll think. Oh, now that I've said it, I'm like, mm, what are my tricky? I have like a oh, I have like the oh, I don't know if that counts. I was gonna say like I'm just looking around my room now, like the twinkly fairy lights. Are they like tricky? Yes. I feel like maybe we're just a little bit past them. Yes, like we're onto those kind of strip lights that go around your room the more like tiktok ones um yes what else is slightly chuggy i feel like bed bath and body works candles are chuggy yes um, yes i do not um own those because i can't do candles i do i'm um, obsessed <laughs> with candles um so that's a good one yes uh, i'm sure there are things i'm still hmm it's like hard to kind of pin it down in some ways because i think tiktok does a good job of repopularizing things that could be chuggy like for example i'm thinking of like the cerave skincare like that could definitely like if we're saying that herbal essences is like chuggy i feel Mm -hmm. like you could say those other like go-to brands from when we were younger, like CeraVe could be chuggy, but then actually TikTok is like, no, no, CeraVe is great. Like, that's fine. Um, what about St. Ives Apricot Scrub? That's for sure chuggy. And I actually also thought that my mascara is chuggy, which is the pink uh, Maybelline one with, Maybelline the, with one, the, green, yeah. the green lid. I really like it, but apparently that's chuggy. So it's, I find like the one thing I have with the term is it's hard to differentiate from basic as you mentioned it is a little um and it's hard and i don't i think because it's so like ingrained in it to like separate from the like millennial versus gen z thing okay well that's Um, the next thing i want to get into okay um get into that yes because it has the term has like created a lot of backlash you know a lot of people I think instantly hated it because it seemed to have been pitched as like this word that all the cool kids are using. And like, if you don't know what it means, you're an old millennial loser slash not cool. But if you actually like read the article or like do a little digging as I have on it, like it's not that it's a very niche term that spread from one person and then got some attention by a TikTok. And then I think because it appeared in the New York times or was it yeah not the new york it was the new york times yeah um mm-hmm. that presence naturally made it feel like a mainstream thing um i don't think the article was trying to push it as so but just like being in such a mainstream uh source i think makes it seem like it is is the thing and i think people often feel like a lot of resistance about something that's being pushed as like okay you now have to know about this and you have to care about this and it feels like a lot but the main thing that has kind of come up is like the weaponization of it and it has sort of fueled that gen z millennial feud that you alluded to micah so Mm -hmm. like if you take your mind back a couple months you might remember you know it actually might have been earlier this month i really can't keep track of time anymore um but you might remember millennials and gen z were like arguing on the internet about whether side parts and skinny jeans are cool or not um and this was a very exhausting argument and not one i want to get super into but (laughs) Like, that was essentially the result of millennials who kind of, like, grew up as the online generation and were the first to, like, set the standards of cool on the internet, realizing or being forcibly told that 
they're no longer the ones with that power and that Gen Z are now the ones who are on the pulse and the ones who are making the rules. And I think Chugi felt like a little bit of an extension of this. So Gen Z deciding that things millennials like are lame and are signifiers with being out of touch. And then that naturally reignited that whole conflict and then I think it does bring into that you know the 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 definition was things that are cool in middle and high school and are no longer cool but everyone goes through middle and high school at a different age now so is Mm -hmm. something that like my parents had in high school chooky or is that just like the 80s um so (laughs) it's in a unique moment I feel um but does that sort of answer your thoughts about the millennial gen z situation yeah i think so i'm glad i could do that um the other kind of main backlash it got which i will dissect and hopefully gently point you towards it being a little ridiculous um is claims of misogyny so the rod tiktok i mentioned earlier um a tiktok creator named kira bra i believe um made a video responding to that one so i think there's like a common thing on tiktok where you like do response yes. videos and you stuff. stitch yeah. yeah a stitch perfect thank you um so yeah she asserted that chuggy is not a phrase that came from gen z to millennials but instead a word that came from white girls to describe other white girls and she adds that it's interesting to watch white women micromanage what makes other white women cool something women of color don't do and don't have to do and that she kind of seemed she saw it as a response to white girls getting made fun of so much um that then you have this and it's she hashtagged the video internalized misogyny but I feel like there's a few, I feel like this might be a little bit of a deep and misguided read on it. Um, Mm -hmm. For example, I hope I'm not speaking out of term here, but I don't believe that the creator of the word is white herself. Um, She obviously has gone to Beverly Hills High School and some great summer camps and a sorority. So like, I mean, I I may be speaking totally out of turn here, but has maybe had a quite privileged upbringing, but I feel like, number one, the claim in the previous TikTok was a little bit inaccurate if the creator isn't actually mm-hmm. white herself. But um, E.J. Dickinson wrote in the Rolling, in Rolling Stone, which I think sums it up pretty accurately. She said that these kind of claims are misguided. Bullying is what happens when you weaponize markers of someone's identity against them. And if you consider wearing Tory Burch sandals an integral part of your identity, then you probably need to take a long, hard look at your own privilege. <laughs> misogyny is insidious and takes many forms of in our culture but making fun of someone for posting minion memes is not one of them and yeah i i kind of feel like i have to agree i feel like the term is a bit more lighthearted than uh some some people are viewing it as but emily dick uh, ej dickinson's um emily dickinson ej dickinson's <laughs> point is kind of alluding at something you know she's talking about her own privilege and i kind of mentioned that before but like maybe the best argument for a problem the word is like classism like is chuggy a word for rich people to make fun of things that middle class people like or is it for Mm. you know rich and middle class people to make fun of each other like if you're not able to keep up with the consumerist monikers of cool um i think though thinking about it that way has just made me realize it's like pretty harmless like 
can you really be mad at someone for giggling at you because you like you know watching friends or going on an annual cruise like they like EJ Dickinson said they don't really feel like a thing that are super super integral to your identity and they probably mean that you've had access to like a fair amount of resources um I do think like there probably are occasions when it goes a little bit far like you know this that it sort of is a shorthand term for like the culture of getting married at 20 um Mm -hmm. I think there's like that could be potentially problematic because we don't know what the reasons are behind people getting married very young like there are like different reasons for that that I I think you could be, you know, getting maybe a little bit um, nasty about. But on the whole, it's, like, not the biggest deal. I feel like we all just need to chillax about Chuki. What do you think? I have so many thoughts about this. Oh, my God. Give him to me. Well, I think – so I have so many thoughts about, like, girl boss feminism as, like, kind of an insipidous part of how feminism has Mm -hmm. occurred in the 21st century. Um. So it's, I think it's interesting that you bring classism into it because, like, girl-boss feminism, this, like, notion... I think the way you, like, described it is perfect. Um, but, like, this notion that, like, just being, like, in charge of your own life and, like, taking leaning in and taking that power, like, does require a lot of privilege. Like, and thinking, like, that's mm-hmm. um, what will make you successful. And so, like, I think... So, obviously, like, generational war is dumb. Like, we all exist, especially, like, for people like us who exist like, yeah. deeply on the cusp. Um, but it seems yes. like one thing that, like, people who, like, self-style themselves to be Gen Z, like, part of it is, like, this wokeness. And so, like, I think part of chuginess is, like, not being woke enough, mm-hmm. and, but in, like, subtle ways. Like, thinking girl bossing is cool um yes so i i in that way like i don't mind it being called like that's why i'm like oh yeah cool like call it out like that's funny like call it chuggy yeah i think the problem is when people are like no don't say it because you're making fun of someone for like something and it's as the writer said maybe things like the like for instance the girl boss thing i feel like we should make fun of people for but like Mm -hmm. minions memes it's like who cares either way like it's funny like whatever um Mm-hmm. I think the only thing for me is I just want to like be very careful that yeah it doesn't become so the, okay the the best example of what I'm getting at here is the book that I mentioned last uh, month how to break up with fast fashion by Lauren Bravo mm-hmm. she sort of discussed um you know we shouldn't like just criminalize people who buy fast fashion because fast fashion allows people to participate in our consumerist society right like it gives Mm -hmm. um people who don't have a lot of money an opportunity to have like new clothes that are sort of like on trend or just like the excitement of of new things but that yeah the the conclusion that then the book sort of came to was that like then you know if we have a little bit more privilege we need to like work at making fashion a more uh cyclical and accessible thing without damaging the environment right so yeah. that's kind of like a different beast but yeah i kind of like maybe we need to come at it from that compassion if we are making fun of people who just like are a little bit 
out of style because maybe they don't have the money to be like constantly in style though things like instagram captions you can just like not be lame on the internet right so that's yeah that's fine um mm-hmm. i saw a great tiktok actually about this woman asking like so fast faction makes like being on top of the hottest trends like a little bit more accessible yes um, yeah and she asked this question like what would lower and like middle class people look like if they didn't have access to fast mm-hmm. fashion and like how much far like and i think that brings in this chewy thing of like how would they be treated because i think she she like looked back at her own experience of like growing up in the early 2000s where like fast fashion wasn't the same as it yeah. is today like we like forever 21 did not exist in the same way yes um and she like constantly felt left out yeah because she like was a couple years behind Mm -hmm. in like the fashion so yeah i think there's i think when you use chuggy to like put white women in their place a little bit of like if it's to make fun of like girl boss stuff or like minions memes like yes absolutely go for it Yeah. yeah it's funny fine but like if it's used to like perpetuate the cultural thing of like you have to be like fully on top of the trends which is like deeply ironic because the trends are like early 2000s 90s stuff right now right so like is it chuggy to not wear the things that you were wearing in middle school i guess Um. yeah it's a little bit of a head wreck and i think yeah i i think for like the most part it's best just to like kind of just take it in a lighthearted way because everything is so like cyclical right now and like depends on like what is cool today but not tomorrow so it's it's all very fast like that but totally agree that I think there needs to to be some um level of sensitivity around it um but definitely a case-by-case basis I think on the whole we don't Mm -hmm. need to be calling this like a misogynistic thing also because like Rod made a whole video about how there's a lot of chuggy male things. They're like Axe body spray <laughs> is very uh, yes. chuggy oh for men. God, yeah. So, yeah, just maybe like don't make fun of people for like not being able to buy the thing that everyone's talking about today, right? Um, end up. But I do want to give the story a funny conclusion. Your one had a lighthearted conclusion. I need to give mine the same thing. So. Chuggy was recently sold as an NFT, which brings us into another crazy modern thing. (laughs) So an NFT, if you don't know, is an acronym for non-fungible token, which is an exclusive digital asset that says you own the original version of the thing. So a great New York Times article likened it to buying a star. So you can't actually own a star, but you can buy a piece of paper that says you own a star and no one else can buy that piece of paper, right? Mm-hmm. So recently, memes have been sold as NFTs. For example, overly attached girlfriend, um, and that is the image of the girl with like the crazy eyes. I believe she's wearing like kind of like a blue shirt, and she has like yes. brown hair. Um, and people would like back in the old like 2010 meme days, you know, when memes used to be written on the image with the big blocky white font. Mm-hmm. People would caption it with things like, "My friends think you look really cute." in the photos I took of you while you were sleeping. Very funny meme. We all like it. That one sold for mm-hmm. 400 and <laughs> 400. Wait, why am I? $411,000. Yeah. Sorry. I try. It's so late at night. You guys, I was reading it in the way that made it sound like just 
$400,000 and then an extra $11. (laughs) $411,000. Another meme that sold for even more was Disaster Girl. And that's the picture of the little girl looking back to the camera with a smirk as like a house goes up in flames. Um, And that one sold for $500,000. So Gabby Rasson listed the Chuggy NFT for one Ethereum. And Ethereum is is a cryptocurrency. And that's worth about $4,000. However, the price was lowered due to a lack of bids and it ended up selling for about $300. So yeah, Chugi has not reached like, you know, the decades uh, amount of time that the other ones have in our, in our cultural conscience to get half a million dollars. But the 300 bucks for, for Chugi, I thought was pretty funny. Um, So I just want to leave you with one last note, which was, how will you use the word chuggy today? I challenge you to go forth and use it. Alrighty, well that brings us to the end of another episode of Different Things Can Be Sad. And thank the Lord, because as I mentioned in my segment, I am getting really tired. And I don't hey, know if these words make technical sense. Difficulties. Oh, this has been a, this has been a fun recording, you guys. Um but yeah, Micah, what are you going to be doing in in June, the first month of the summer? Mm, in June. Yeah, um, I'm excited for it to be summery. I I will probably be going back to Montreal. <gasps> um, what? Or okay. Wait, sorry. How do I say what in French? Quoi? Quoi? Okay. Quoi? <laughs> um. Yeah. Um. I'm still paying rent in Montreal, and all, a lot of my stuff is still there. So mm. I need to close up my apartment and see my friends. Yay! Um, yay! Um. So. I will be doing that and luckily cases in Canada have been lowering very quickly Um, which is really exciting Um, and I am very vaxxed currently so feels good very happy for you Micah Um, I will also be taking my little vaxxed up booty out on the town um i'm going to go to new england for a weekend which i'm very excited about nice i've never been there this late in the year so i'm pretty excited about it like i've never been there in june so i'm really excited to Mm -hmm. see um what it'll be like in a more summery setting i think that's my main big june activity i've been working through um a list that i have on my phone of like summer things um that I want to do this year. Now I already ticked off some of them. Like for example, this weekend I got a facial and I went to a museum. So that was two things that I wanted to do over the summer. But I do also have um, walk the entire length of Manhattan. Like they do in that broad city episode um, (laughs) and go to a baseball game. So maybe I can deliver you those in June as well. We'll see. Anyway, if you do want to keep up with those adventures, you can follow us on Instagram at DTCBS Podcast, and I'm on there as at Yasmin Lomax. And I'm on there and Twitter as at Micah Han. And we will be in your ear holes again in about a month. Bye. Bye.